Welcome to the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. This episode contains a sermon from July 5th by Pastor Andy titled, There's Always a Way Out. All right, before we talk about uh, temptation today, I want to talk just a little bit about racism. Because that's what everybody else is talking about in our culture today, isn't it? And here's the thing. Whenever what's going on in culture intersects where the Bible clearly speaks, that's when people like me need to say something. And and the only reason we're not going to talk about racism a whole long time is because I just spent four weeks talking about it just a couple months ago. Uh, But things have sort of sparked back up today. And so I just want to address that just for a couple minutes. And, And let me say this. What, what happened to George Floyd should affect us all. This is not a them problem. This is not a Minneapolis problem. This is a we problem. This is an us problem. As Martin Luther King said, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And I promise you that when African Americans saw that cop's knee on George Floyd's neck... They didn't just see a knee on someone's neck. They saw a knee on their father's neck or on their son's neck. They saw the death of, of hoping that America was further along, uh, of their hope that America was further along on a hope that this really didn't happen anymore. All that just seemed to, to die in them. And then we had this whole re-resurrection again of Black Lives Matter. And as I told you before, whenever it says Black Lives Matter, they don't mean Black Lives Black lives matter more. At first, that was my thought. Well, white lives matter too. You know, blue lives matter too. All lives matter. But they're not saying that black lives matter more. They're saying black lives matter as much in a culture that doesn't think so. When Jesus healed lepers, he wasn't saying lepers matter more. He was saying lepers matter as much in a culture that didn't think so. That children, that prostitutes, that tax collectors matter as much as in a culture that didn't see it that way. But this, what's going on in in our culture has a particularly big effect on me personally as being a pastor. Because the church should be like a thermostat leading the culture, but often the church has been more like a thermometer reflecting the culture. But what really hurts is is that in in church and churches, as far as me as a pastor, the problem is not racism. The problem is a total misunderstanding of the gospel, a failure to even grasp the gospel. Because it is in the multi-ethnic church that God is showing that He kept His promise to Abraham. It's in the multi-ethnic church which God is showing that He's conquered sin and all men have come together to be reconciled. And yet, in our culture... 90% of our churches are mono-ethnic. What if it was that way in any other part of society? What if universities, 90% of universities only had people of one ethnicity and of one race? What if 90% of banks only had customers of one race? What if 90% of sports teams only played people of one race? We wouldn't accept that anywhere else, but it's okay in a church. Churches are 
ten times more segregated than the community in which they dwell in. Churches today are also 20 times more segregated than the schools that surround them. And I, I, I know what people say. I've heard this from not just white pastors, but from black pastors too. Well, we just want to be with our own kind. You know, it's, it's a lot easier for us to, to, to be with people from our own culture and, and share these things. No, no, no. The problem is a failure to understand the gospel and, and to let it penetrate our hearts. And here's what I also hear. But I'm not a racist. Well, good. But that's not good enough. We can't just not be a racist. We have to be anti-racism. It's like saying, I'm not a child abuser. You don't walk by a child abuser and go, well, well I'm not a child abuser. No, you say something. And, and, and racism should rile us up like bullying or child abuse or anything else. Not that we say I'm not a racist, but we're to the point where we're willing to say something. And I know that subjects like this, that things like this, that, that they're, uh, they're usually something that's in the process of, of growing. It takes a while to get there. But we've had a while as a culture to get there. So Peter, 15 years, 15 years after the resurrection, Peter still has a Gentile problem. Red and yellow, black and white, they're not all precious in Jesus' sight as far as Peter is concerned. You know, Jesus doesn't love all the Gentile children of the world especially. And so there's, there's this issue that Peter has. Then he's at this house and he has this vision. That God gives a vision of a sheep coming down. All these animals that, that their Jewish law said you could not eat, yet God says, go kill and eat. Peter says, no, Lord. And three times that happens. And then as soon as that's over with, Peter gets a knock on his door. These Gentiles want him to come to their Gentile friend's house. And Peter's smart enough to put two and two together that God's doing something. And so he goes with them. And he goes to the friend's house for the first time in his life. The first time in his life, he takes his foot and crosses over into a Gentile's house. And he says, you know, you guys know that for me being a Jew, to do this, to come into some place considered unclean. They're probably, yeah, you considered us unclean, did you? And yeah, he did. But then he says this. He says, but God has shown me. God has shown me. And oh, I so wish that we would come to a place where God has shown us. We realize that where we can say, God has shown me to have a different attitude in my heart. It's not just good enough to be a non-racist. We need to be anti-racist. And if you don't understand, and if it doesn't affect you, what happened to George Floyd, if that doesn't affect you, being a Jesus follower is something you really need to look at. Because the hardest thing for me to accept is how we in so many of our churches just miss, because of this issue, it shows we miss the heart of the gospel. And, and that hurts, because I think, hey, that's not just on you folks, that's on people like me. That's because people in me and my position haven't done what they're supposed to be doing and should have been doing for years.
Okay, y'all done with that? You had four weeks of that a couple months ago, so I'll leave it there. Let's move on to temptation, okay? Let's talk about temptation. Now, what we have said, that if you're going to battle temptation, you have to have this foundation. This foundation of being connected to God, the foundation of walking in the Spirit, the foundation of being consumed with God's glory, whatever you want to call it, you have to have that foundation of, of being connected to God, of leaning hard into God. Once that foundation is there, then there's other things that you can do that will help you overcome temptation. It's like you have this, this spiritual side, in, in a sense, a, a physical side. It's not really a physical side, but you have this other side. that We talked about that last week, how once you have that foundation, then these things become successful. And so what we said is that once you have that foundation, once you're walking in the Spirit, you're consuming His glory, leaning hard into God, then you need to be around the right people because your, friend deter- your friends determine your direction in life. And the second thing we said last week is that you need to eliminate temptation. In other words, you stay away from it. You go in the opposite direction. You know, why would you want to have to deal with a temptation tomorrow when you can eliminate it out of your life today? Now, I don't know what temptations you guys are dealing with. It could be the, you know, the big three of drugs, sex, and alcohol. It could be, uh, you know, gambling or social media. It could be pride and, and, and anger and bitterness. But whatever you're dealing with, there's another thing that, that, that the Bible talks about that we can do so the temptation doesn't get a hold of on us. And that is find a way out. That God always gives us a way out. We need to take that way out. Now let me back up just a minute because I want to, before we look at our scripture this morning, I want you to, to know how much you need to allow this to penetrate your heart. Because it's back to my foundational belief that the reason our culture is in a bad place that it is is because our church is in a bad place that it is because we cease to be salt and light because we as a people, we've been given into temptation. We've been running to sin. We've been allowing that to overcome our lives in all these areas. And so that's the reason that our culture is going downhill and decaying and getting darker. It's because of us. And so temptation has us. It's leading us to sin, and so we have this trouble with dealing with temptation. So that's why we need to listen to, what, to what's written for us here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So let's go and let's, let's look at these verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Maybe I turned it off, should have turned it on. One of these days, we're going to master our technical techno- technology here at the church. Alicia, I may need you to help. Oh, okay, maybe let's back up. Let's get to the beginning of this. Okay, here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, and we stopped. Can you help me out, Alicia? I can just read it. Okay. And we're all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and all drank from the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Okay, now, five times in those four verses, he uses the word all. All of them. 
They all experienced God's divine protection. When, when they're there up against the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army is chasing them, a cloud moved between them and Pharaoh's army, they, experienced, they all experienced God's protection. Not only did they experience God's protection, they all experienced God's provision. Manna comes down from heaven, feeds them every day. There is every day God providing for them. Not only that, they were all, it talks about, uh, the part we skipped over there a little bit, but it talks about how they were all baptized into Moses. In other words, it's a dry baptism. There's no water there. In other words, they all identify with Moses as their leader. So here they have divine protection, divine provision, and Moses as their leader. How do you think you guys would do? If you had just experienced last week in your life, or, and sometimes every day in your life, God's divine protection, His divine provision, and you had Moses as the leader, you think, I'd always be surrendered to God. Everything would be great, but that's not quite the case. The next verse, Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them since they were struck down in the wilderness. That's an understatement. Not pleased with most of them? Only two made to the promised land out of three million. Only two. You see, we need to understand that, that you don't have a pass because of your past spiritual experiences. You still are prone to failing, and they were. I came here from University Baptist Church in, in Ames, Iowa, right there on Iowa State. We were surrounded uh, on three sides by Iowa State University. And so students were always there. Every semester, every semester, mom and dad would show up with little Johnny or little Susie. They'd be at church. They'd come to me in my office during the week. And they'd say how little Johnny and little Susie, they were so involved in their youth group. And we're going to enjoy them at the church and in our college group uh, there on campus. And for a couple of weeks, they showed up. A couple of weeks, they attended. But then, most of the time, they disappeared after that. Because the temptations of college life, they got caught up into it. And they were in all this sort of dark stuff and nowhere to be found. All their great spiritual experiences, that didn't keep them from falling. Didn't help them either here. And then let's keep on reading. Now these things took place as examples for us, so that they will not desire evil things as they did. All this happened as examples. Let's go on. Don't become idolaters. Here, here's what he's doing. Here's, here's what our examples for us. Don't become idolaters as some of them were, as is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to party. Let's not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in a single day, 23,000 people died. And let's not test Christ as some of them did and were destroyed by snakes. And don't complain as some of them did and they were killed by the destroyer. So complaining makes that list. Temptation doesn't just come in the sexual immorality category. It comes in the category of pride, anger, bitterness, and griping and complaining. In fact, you go back and read Numbers chapter 14 and, and basically saying, look, when you're griping and complaining, you think it's against another person. No, it's against God. That's how, that's how this is. In fact, in Numbers 14, they had to go one around for another 40 years so all the complainers died off. And they weren't there anymore. Then we read this. These things happened to them as examples. And they were written for our instruction on whom the end of ages have come. All these things 
were given to us so that we could learn. Outside the Garden of Eden, you had one admonition. Then came another, then came another, then came another. He's telling us all these hundreds of admonitions, all these things you should do and then not do, you should go toward and stay away from. All these have been handed down to you. And yet we have teenagers that say things like this. Well, mom and dad had to learn the hard way. I just have to learn the hard way too. That's got to be one of the top three stupidest things that teenagers say. So you want to purposely see your life destroyed instead of learning? Instead of, instead of heeding what, what Scripture said, you want to purposely just see your life destroyed because of that? No, you need to learn. Learn what? And here we go. So whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. Learn not to be overconfident. Your spiritual progress does not grant you immunity. I don't care if you like a piece of furniture in a church. You've been here the whole time. That does not grant you immunity from temptation. In fact, not until we leave this earth and we, and we go to, to be in heaven is there going to be any, any reprieve from being tempted. It's like that bumper sticker would say, Lord, lead me not into temptation. I can find it all by myself. And that's true. We're going to all be tempted and struggle with temptations. It's because we have an enemy, and we have an enemy that will not only come at you at your weaknesses, he will come at you at your strengths. How many times do you read or you hear about some family man, some devoted family man does something stupid? Or some doctor who's committed to to health and and cares a whole lot about health gets hooked on painkillers. Why? Because they were overconfident. And who they were. See, when you, when you get to the point where you think, there's no way I could do that. I mean, th- th- I wouldn't do that in a million years. Be careful. That's the person who usually follows fastest and the hardest. The person who says, I would never do anything like that. So we learn. We learn not to be overconfident and we learn this. No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation, He will also provide a way out so that you may be able to bear it. That's the good news right there in that. The good news is there are no superhuman temptations. You're not facing a temptation that has been faced and conquered by millions of people before you. No superhuman temptations. And you have the character of God. Whenever you face temptation, God's character is behind you. God's character is revealed in basically two ways. He's faithful. Faithful to do what? Faithful to make sure there's no temptation that you can't overcome. This temptation is not going to be too big for you. You've got His promise. It won't be too big. And that He will always provide a way out. Not only will it not be, be too much for you, but there will always be a way out. Take the way out. What's the way out? Well, that could be a lot of things. It could be your friends who encourage you. Like we talked about last week. It could be this right here. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so you may be healed. It could be simply having confession time and, and other people praying for you. That could be it. It could be repentance. But there is a way out. There, there's always a way out. But here's what happens. Usually instead, people will say this. Now, they won't say this out loud, but they'll say this to themselves. I just couldn't handle it. It was just too much for me. How many times have you know you've been tempted and you know the temptation is there and you know what the results will be if you do it, but you do it anyway? 
And you're thinking, I just couldn't help myself. How many of you ever said you're just going to eat one Oreo cookie, right? <laughs> then you couldn't help myself. Lay's potato chips had a whole commercial about that, right? Nobody can eat just one. How many times have you felt that way when temptation came, whether it be to something that you were thinking, something you were saying, something you were doing, and you thought, I just couldn't help myself. Now, that's a lie that you just couldn't help yourself, that you had no choice. It's a lie for three reasons. Reason number one, God just gave us the promise based on his character that we're not going to face temptation that we can't overcome. We're not going to face temptation that's too much for us. Secondly, when we become Christians... We're given this new nature. The old self has died. It's gone. Now we have a new nature. Here's our verse that we've been talking about in that. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so you should obey its desires. You've been made a new person. And if you're struggling with temptation, it's because you, you, you've forgotten the fact, you lost sight of the fact, you lost faith in the fact that you become a new creature. And here's what we said. Okay, you already play t-ball? Here it is. The only reason that sin can reign in your life is if you... All right, good. That was a double. It wasn't a home run, but it was a double. Y'all did good. And here's what he says in uh, Romans 6, 6. But we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless, so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. In other words, you don't have to be mastered by your desires anymore. So, reason number one that you can never look at temptation and say it was too much for me is because God's promised it won't be too much for you. The second reason is because we've been given a new a, a God's spirit. We have a, a new self, a new nature within us. And the third reason is simply that He's going to provide a way out. You can't say it's too much because God will and has and always will provide a way out. Now, how many of you guys in here, older guys in here, you remember the glory days of video games? Pac-Man, Frogger, Asteroids. Okay, remember those things? You're too young, Scott. You weren't, you weren't even born when those things came out. But you still remember. You, you're, you're in a warp zone probably. But my favorite, probably my absolute favorite is Asteroids. And it's so pitiful how bad those games were. Your ship was a triangle, okay? And you shot little round things out of the point of the triangle, and you were shooting these cloud-shaped objects, these asteroids that were coming at you. And you had to shoot them down. And you had thrust there. You could move the ship around, but it's very hard to control. And so sometimes if you found yourself in a difficult situation where you had these two asteroids coming at you, and you know, I can't shoot these at, at, at the same time, there was this button in the middle that you could push. Anybody know what that button was? Hyperspace. Yeah, hyperspace. And your ship would disappear. And it would appear in some other part of the screen. It was great. How can you guys not get into this? It was great. Okay. Now, think of it like this. Whenever that temptation comes, God provides a button. You know, not hyperspace. We'll call it hyper grace, okay? And, and, and it's a way out. It's a way out. You don't have to give into the temptation. He provides a way out. So you've got eating issues. You eat too much. You eat too much of the wrong things. And, and you hear they got donuts in the office in the morning. You walk by and there's a donut. You just press the button. You keep on going. 
You go to your way out. You're in the grocery store, and there's this scantily clad female walking down this aisle. What do you do? You push the button. You go down the other aisle. You always take the way out. But here's what we do. We play mind games with that. So you're a teenager. You're in a car with your buddies. Then you hear them talking about doing drugs and drinking. Something inside of you says, the next red light, just get out to the door, just get out the car, close the door, say catch you guys later, and just leave. Walk home, call, get a ride home or something, just leave. But what happens? You, you get up to the red light and, and you start playing games with you. You start, start doing things like, okay, God, if that's really you, have someone say the word door. And if someone says the word door, I'll know it's you and I'll open the door and leave. No, no, no. Just put your hand on the knob, open the door and get out and leave. You're watching TV, and all of a sudden you're, you're flipping through channels, and you come up on something, you go, whoa, on primetime television? I didn't know they were showing stuff like that. And you hear something, just grab the remote and change the channel. But what do you do? Okay, God, if you really want me to change, if you really want me to watch this, then have GCI cable just shut down. Or, or God, if you don't want me to watch this, then just change the channel. Just change. And God say, no, 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 you don't need a sign like that. Just grab the remote and push the button. God provides a way out. But we give all these mind games on why we just won't go up and take the way out. David, when he was being chased by Saul, he had already been anointed king, but the problem is already king, King Saul. He doesn't like David, so he's chasing through the mountainside. And for a period of time, David stays in this one area, and he takes care of, of the flocks of this guy named Nabal. And he takes care, he just watches out for him, make sure nobody comes in. People come in and just grab a bunch of them and leave, make sure no wild animals tear up his flock. And he's just hanging around the countryside. This is just a, a good thing to do. And so come fall time, when it's harvest, when it's payday in that culture, David sends the men to Nabal to collect his tip. It'd be like tipping a, a, a waiter or a waitress at, at a restaurant for us. But what does Nabal say? I don't know David. Who, why would I want to tip him? He, he's, he's rebelling against the king. Why would I want to tip him? David gets angry. And in that culture... Yeah, understandable. And he tells his guys to strap on their swords. They're going to go and they're going to kill everything male and either keep or sell everything female. And Abigail, Nabal's wife, hears about it. And so she starts loading up these <laughs> piles and piles of food and sending it to David's way. And she comes up and meets David and says, David, just hear me out for a minute. Let me give you the big picture. When you become king, as you will be, you don't want to be known that you avenged yourself. And so David stops. He thinks about that. Then he says, oh, I was about to return evil for evil. The wrong thing to do. Thank you. And he takes the way out. God's promised us. He'll give us a way out. You're tempted to grumble and complain? Hit the button. There's a way out. You're a young girl. You're in a seat with a, in a car with a guy, and he starts trying to put his hand in wrong places. Hit the button. Well, hit him first, then hit the button. But get out of the car. Just get out. But what do we do? We get caught in this cycle. We get caught in this loop around and around and around. See, especially in relationships. Y'all watch, because this, this is how it happens. You get tempted to respond a certain way in a relationship. But instead of taking the way out, 
you give in that temptation, and you react, and you go, oh, man, that hurt, life hurt, fall apart. And you come around, same temptation, you do the same thing again and again and again. It's like the, the couple that went to the counselor. And, and the counselor asked the guy, why do you drink so much? And he said, well, all my wife does is nag, 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 drinking. That's my only escape because that's all she does is nag. He turns to the wife, why do you nag so much? Well, why wouldn't I nag? All he does is drink, drink, drink. It's the, they're just caught in this cycle of responding the same way instead of taking the way out. Maybe it's forgiveness. Maybe it's a different approach. Maybe it's showing love. Whatever it is, but there's a way out. God always provides a way out. And here's the thing. The next time that we're up against or we see or we have a chance to do something about racism, there's a way out. Don't fall into temptation that we've been involved in over and over and over again. Next time you're up against that temptation, whether it's sexual in nature or whether it's attitudes or whatever, it could be gropping and complaining. There's a way out. God promises to do that. Because we're in a culture that's not dealing with temptation very well. We fall for the same things over and over and over again, and we're getting deeper and deeper and deeper into it. It's time we come out of it. It's time we stop letting temptation eat our lunch. And we become people. Because we're bonded to God, because we're close to God, because we, we reestablish that we're walking in the Spirit, that, 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 we're, that we're, we're pursuing God's glory, because we're all about that, then we can become people who then look for that way out. We can become a people then who's surrounded by friends that are going to ha- share our same values, that, that's going to come along and exhort us and encourage us. We'll, we'll eliminate temptation where we can. We have, to, we have to realize this, that we all have issues with these temptations. And, and they're eating our lunch. But God's provided a way out. So hit that button. You know, hit that hyperspace. Hit that button. Hit that way out. Take it. Don't let it pass you by and go through that cycle again and again and again. Because here's the truth. You're a Christian. Even though you're a Christian, sin can reign in your life. But only if you let it. Yeah, there you go. You don't have to let it, God's saying. You don't have to let it. Thank you for tuning into the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. For more information, check out our website at gbcak.org. Thank you.